Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, we continue the conversation here and we get, we'll get straight into our health feature. Uh, thank you all for accommodating us, moving things a little bit around uh, just so that we're able to um, really get to the bottom of some of the issues um, that people are experiencing where the UIF is concerned. For our health feature today, we're focusing on um, cleft palate, and it's listed as among the most common uh, birth defects reported in South Africa. Dr. Paul Skull is an aesthetic and reconstructive plastic surgeon at the Netke Christian Barnard Memorial Hospital. Dr. Skull, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Uh, hi, Paul. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. I can hear you clearly now. And, and apologies that we've started the conversation a little later than we had uh, scheduled to. Uh, let, me also, let me also welcome onto the show Dr. Tendo Nechongolwe, who is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Uh, Tendo, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to all the listeners. Uh, Paul, let me begin with you. Cleft palate, what, what are we talking about when we reference cleft palate and, and how is it caused? Do we know? Um, okay, so a cleft palate, just, just to differentiate, children can be born obviously with no birth defect, but there's the, the one side of the defect is a cleft lip which can sometimes be associated with a cleft palate, or children can be born with just a cleft lip, uh, a cleft lip and palate, or just a cleft palate. So basically, early on in pregnancy, in the first few weeks after fertilization, uh, the baby's face is formed usually in the first uh, six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And during that period, um, the face kind of is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle that comes together. And if two sides, the left and the right, don't join in the middle, uh, you can end up with a cleft palate or a cleft lip. And in as far as being able to identify what is happening, how soon uh, are, are, you know, expectant parents able to know if if this is something that they can expect? Um, It's a good question. Um, I I don't obviously do birth uh, sonograms, but uh, a patient of mine... Um, who's now pregnant actually with her second child, uh, who is also cleft. Uh, the first child, I think they picked up at about 16 weeks um, with some of these modern 3 or 4D scans. Uh, the second child at about 13 weeks. Uh, it's more difficult to see a cleft of the palate than it, uh, uh, during pregnancy with the ultrasound uh, than it is to see a cleft lip. So usually... I, I would say somewhere between 14 and 16 weeks, they can usually pick that up. Uh, Tendo, let me bring you in here and, and then talk about some of the risk factors then that accompany a, a cleft lip or a cleft palate. Uh, thank you, Kathy. Um, so usually we can divide the risk factors of the causes into two. We have those that are called genetic causes. Uh, with the genetic causes, obviously, you can have a family member that has a, a cleft lip or palate, and then therefore it tends to run in the family. And also some syndromes, uh, we have some syndromes that are associated with a cleft lip and palate, common ones being Stickler syndrome and also um, Trisha-Collins syndrome and the one that's called Van Bauer. And then on the other side of the, cone, uh, of the coin, we have got some associated factors that are not genetic. So the most commonly cited ones are like if a pregnant mother is taking alcohol during pregnancy, 
and smoking as well has also been associated as one of the risk factors of cleft lip and palate. And then the other one will be a mother who's epileptic and is therefore taking anti-epileptic medications during pregnancy. This has been associated to, uh, to cause uh, cleft lip and palate. And also folic acid deficiency, which is why the gynecologist will usually um, prescribe folic acid to aid in neural tube uh, growth. So patients that uh, mothers, uh, children of uh, born of mothers that were not supplementing with folic acid can be at high risk of developing cleft lip and palate. And also mothers that have been taking steroids during pregnancy, it has been shown that this has been associated with uh, cleft lip and palate defect. So, Tendu, if I understand it correctly then, it means that this is something that is developed, um, you know, so so once a child is born, it becomes clear whether or not um, they're going to suffer from cleft lip or cleft palate. It's not something that develops over time. Yeah, so it develops in utero while the child yes. is still developing. As uh, my colleague has mentioned, during uh, gestation at around six to eight weeks, uh, the child starts forming. And then like there are some processes that we call frontal nasal processes uh, that will fuse the face together. So during that time, we believe that there are some cells that are called neural cells that migrate along that, uh, along that plane and causes this fusion. And once that fusion fails to happen, a cleft lip and palate will develop at that stage. Mm. And obviously, it will only manifest when the child is born because that's what that's when we'll see it. Mm. So if the mother has got all those risk factors, it increases the chances of that process of uh, uh, lip formation not forming well. And then therefore, it will lead into the cleft lip and palate defect. Obviously, with the advances in ultrasonic examination, it's, uh, we are able to pick it early. But like once we pick it early, there's nothing to do at that time. It's just a wait and see game until the child is born, and then we then go on to repay it at about uh, three three months. Mm. Paul, uh, let's talk about the, the the prevalence of this because some of the figures that uh, we were looking at uh, say that it's it's very common, um, commonly reported in South Africa. But do we have specific figures? Um, yes, I'll, I'll come to that now. Mm. Um, just to pick up on my colleague's mention of folic acid and, and perhaps for your listeners who are thinking uh, about getting pregnant or having a baby, the most important thing about folic acid uh, in pregnancy is that you should take folic acid in f- as a 5 milligram tablet. Folic acid can be part of numerous multivitamins, but that's no good. It's a very, very small amount and it's practically useless. You can buy very, very cheap folic acid tablets called B-tabs. They are five milligram tablets. And the important thing is to take, uh, um, for the woman to take folic acid when she thinks she might want to fall pregnant, not once she finds out she's pregnant. Because if you take it once you found out you're pregnant, you've taken it too late because you normally find out you're pregnant four, five, maybe six weeks most of the babies formed already. So before you think about having the baby, you go on to folic acid, five milligrams a day. It's a great way of minimizing your risk uh, of, of having a child with either any kind of neural tube defects, uh, spina bifida or cleft lip and palate. Mm-hmm. As, as to the prevalence, um, it varies a little bit amongst race groups. The, the highest incidence is in Asians, where it's about one in 500 live births. Um, and amongst black patients, somewhere around one in a thousand, whites somewhere around one in seven hundred, give or take.
of live birth. Mm. And I think what you're saying there, uh, Paul, about the folic acid, it really is uh, creating that awareness over what is the overall nutrition that you know we should be making people aware of and 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 especially if you know once you start uh, you know the, the the supplements six weeks as you've mentioned once you've actually found out you're pregnant it may be too late so a consideration for women especially um, who are thinking about conceiving to get on that folic acid as soon as possible paul 100%. Uh, paul a, a big issue is around treatment of, right. of cleft lip uh, and cleft palate. And, and I actually didn't realize before you clarified that there was a difference between the two. I thought the two were, were you know, they were the, the same thing. So, so talk to us about the treatment that's available then for both. Okay, so the, there is treatment. The, the first thing to understand for the most part outside of children that are born with syndromes um, is that a child with a cleft lip or a cleft palate can be an absolutely normal child. Uh, not uh, Aside from having the split in the lip and the split in the palate, the child can be uh, um, intellectually 100% uh, uh, normal and have a full and normal life. It, there, there's nothing in of itself of the cleft lip and cleft palate that would compromise the child in any other way. Um, so that's the first point, because particularly uh, I'm a volunteer surgeon with uh, Operation Smile, which is a charity that does uh, cleft lip and palate surgery around the world in areas that don't have access to, uh, to health care sufficient to meet the needs of the population. There's a lot of stigma associated with uh, children that are born with cleft lip and palate. They are not sent to school and so on and so forth, and it's really, really uh, sad because they are otherwise 100% normal. But to get back to your question about treatment, there are different protocols um, amongst different surgeons as to how they uh, uh, treat cleft lip and palate. But broadly speaking, uh, a cleft lip in an otherwise well child that is growing well and feeding well uh, is usually done at about three to four months of age, and that usually corrects the lip in its entirety. The nose is maybe cleft as well, or split. The, the, the lip cleft goes into the nose. So we do the lip and nose together at three or four months of age. Um, the palate, there's a bit of uh, um, discussion around when to do the palate. Uh, if the cleft is all the way through, that is lip, hard palate, and soft palate, uh, I tend to do a little bit to the soft palate and the lip at about three or four months of age. And then I come back several months later to fix the hard palate, um, usually around a year or maybe 15 months, so that in theory, at least by 18 months post-birth, the child should have had the, the entire palate and the lip and nose all corrected uh, uh, by the age of 18 months, if not before. Tendo, the issue of, of access is, is a huge one because we know um, that these are not cheap surgeries to have. Absolutely, Shafi, and uh, that's why my colleague mentioned um, organizations such as uh, Operation Smile um, that goes around and try to um, improve the access to health care. So these are organizations that will go to where the patients stay so the patients don't travel far and try to offer uh, the best uh, expert-driven expert services uh, right at the doorstep of where the patients stay. So because these operations, as you say, like they are very, very expensive, and most of our patients, 
uh, with Gladflip and Palace come from low socioeconomic standings. We don't know why that's the case. Is. Might have to do with nutrition, as you mentioned earlier on. Might have to do with lack of supplementation, lack of awareness of the conditions. So we tend to see these conditions in those areas that, like access to healthcare, is not um, is, is not that good. So um, and the operations being uh, expensive, a lot of our patients with Gladflip and Palate don't have access to private care. So they tend to be in the communities out there. So Operation uh, Operation Smile Smile Foundation are some of the organizations that go out there to try and improve access to healthcare. And of course, also, um, we also in the public sector, we tend to go to these district hospitals and we offer our services in those district hospitals so that the patient doesn't doesn't travel far. But when we go there, we make sure that the, uh, the hospitals that we're going into are safe for us to can be able to perform uh, this operation. And at times we'll travel with, uh, with a team it becomes a multidisciplinary approach approach because uh, as we're doing this operation with the child is still about three months we'll need anesthetists that are trained in anesthetizing these little babies so it becomes a whole team of of, of surgeons that we travel around with the anesthetists and we go into these remote areas and we try to improve access to healthcare that way and like uh, with the uh, um, foundations that i've mentioned they're doing a great job uh, doing a great deal in, in trying to address access to healthcare for these patients with plastic and palate. What happens if it is left untreated or unattended tender? Yeah, that's a very good question. With the lip, we can say by far, uh, earlier on the lip helps the, the baby latch around the breast. So if the baby is feeding well and they are able to feed, usually the lip doesn't give us a lot of problems because it's just an aesthetic component to the child's um, to the child's face. So usually with those who are, with kids that have lips that are not repaired, we mainly see the psychological sequelae. So these patients will tend to get rejected. They're not accepted by their families. So it becomes to be a psychological effect more than anything. But with a palate, it's very, very important because the palate uh, plays an important role in speech development. So if the palate is not repaired and we, the child goes for about two years, without repairing uh, the palate, the child will struggle to, to speak. And then these are children that when they speak at school or when they speak with, uh, with, their, uh, with, their, with their maids, they are, not heard, um, they are not heard well. And therefore, because of the speech being impaired, a lot of people will tend to think that they are mentally impaired, which is what my colleague mentioned earlier, that like these children that, that have got cleft lip and palate, they are absolutely normal. But like if we don't repair, the cleft lip and the palate earlier on, we tend to see those sequelae, uh, mainly being like difficulties uh, accepting the child in the community and difficulty with the speech. So mm. it's important to repair the palate, especially earlier on. Mm. Paul, what happens when, when, when the intervention has to come in later for, for whatever reason, really? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Look, I, I, I'm pleased to say that in South Africa, in my experience, I, I worked for a number of years at Red Cross Children's Hospital that has had a, a cleft lip and palate unit uh, for an excess of 50 years, um, dealing with all, all types of cleft lip and palate surgery. Um, if one travels into Africa, we occasionally uh, see adults that have unrepaired uh, cleft lips and or palates going up into their 50, 60, 70 years old. Um, and the bottom line for that is, as has correctly been pointed out, the lip you can repair at any age. 
Um, and so we, uh, in adults, usually 15 and older, uh, which you, th this kind of problem you don't really see in South Africa, but 15 and older, if they present for the first time or access to a cleft surgeon or cleft team, uh, 15 and older, we'll repair the lip under local anesthetic or sometimes a general anesthetic. The palate, we don't tend to repair later on, 15, 16, 17, and beyond, um, because the surgery is usually a little more difficult when they're adults, and the results of the speech outcomes for a delayed palate repair, in other words, 15, 16, 20, 30, they, they, they will never have good speech. The, just important to point out, all children with cleft lip and palate can speak. The problem is certain sounds uh, require a, uh, the palate to close the nose from the mouth, and it's very difficult to sometimes understand what they're saying, even though the speech in their mind is, they know what they want to say. Um, it's not a problem of that. It's a problem that they cannot close uh, the nose off from the mouth. So a lot of air escapes through the nose when they're trying to say certain words. So late repair of a palate will never have good speech, so we generally don't do it. All right. And, and, and when it comes to the risk factors for other illnesses uh, as a result of, of cleft lip or, or cleft, cleft palate. What are those, Paul? Um, so cleft lip is not usually associated with any other problems. There mm. are a few syndromes that have cleft lip as one of their components. Um, but if you see a child with a, a cleft lip, there, there's not a huge index of suspicion that there's going to be something wrong anywhere else. Uh, the situation is not true with a child with an an isolated cleft palate. So in other words, a child that has a cleft of the palate but not a cleft of the lip. Those children need to be looked at by a pediatrician because about half of them uh, will have something wrong in another organ system, whether it's the heart or the kidneys or something else, that they need to be looked at thoroughly to make sure that there are no other associated abnormalities. There may be none, but there may be, and uh, there needs to be a reasonable index of suspicion to make sure that the kidneys, the heart, and so on are all normal in mm. a child with a, a cleft palate only. Mm. The, the, the interventions, at least through a conversation like this, tend to sound very easy, but I can imagine it's a very difficult path for families to try and walk, especially um, you know, having to get treatment for these young infants. Absolutely, Hesi, and that's why in uh, other countries that are well off, they'll usually what's called a, they'll have what's called a clinical care uh, coordinator, uh, which is a person that, like, if a child is born with a cleft lip and palate, they'll, uh, that person will be the first contact, and therefore they make the journey of the mother, like, and the family easier because um, the journey in the first two years, especially, is quite long because, like, as we've mentioned, when the certain things that we look at initially when the child is born to going on to repair the lip at about three months, to going on to repair the palate at about a year, nine months, a year. So we need to coordinate care so that we offer the mother support and then we need someone that can take them along. When they've got any problems to ask, uh, they usually will uh, will contact that person. Fortunately, in South Africa, we have uh, a SMILE Foundation that have, that have clinical care coordinators that like patients that have got cleft lip and palate will contact them and then there will be like a sort of a a mediator between us and the, and the patients and their family. So it makes it easier for the patients 
to travel that road and it makes it easier for the family as well to be involved, to get to know what's going to happen and to get uh, a healthcare workers that we can bounce ideas mm-hmm. and talk to as to, as to the part they're going to be traveling. Do, do you find yourself under a lot of pressure uh, particularly from 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 the guardians or, or caregivers of, of 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 your young patients who would want um, the, the the surgery to to go a, a, as well as possible and for for the the kind of repair work being done um, to completely eliminate the fact that uh, a child was even born with a cleft lip or cleft palate. Absolutely, Kathy, and we do. Um we do, fortunately, in South Africa, we are well-trained um, um, in terms of repairing cleft and palate, and so we do offer them the best uh, care that we can. Mm-hmm. And um, by far, most of the patients, as they grow up, they grow up without uh, the sequelae of cleft and palate being noticeable. However, the pressure comes in where immediately after birth, uh, as our African believes, um, when the mother gives birth to a child with a cleft lip, they tend not to want to go back home because they know they're going to either get ridiculed or they're going to get accused of witchcraft and so on and so forth. Mm. So psychologically, uh, they'll want to pressure us to doing it early. But we then, we then like, um, cancel them, them to say the child is completely normal and um, go home and make sure that you explain to the patients what we're telling you as to what the causes are and the three months will tend to repair. So that's the most pressure that we tend to face in uh, in South Africa and uh, largely in the communities that we work in. Mm. But other than that, like the pressure in terms of getting the patients through, we do manage to get the patients through and operate on them, and then they go back and to live a very good life without the sequelae of the repair being, being noticeable. Mm. So, so, Paul, then, j- just to wrap up the conversation, it, it sounds to me that, uh, you know, while this may be um, a, a challenge that some patients face in the country, we're certainly doing well when it comes to offering um, the kind of health care that is needed to, to help attend to, to this problem. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, we, we, we don't see the sort of adult clefts uh, um, in South Africa that, that, that I've seen in other parts of Africa. There, there's a good state system uh, for looking after patients who don't have medical insurance. There's a good private system that looks after patients uh, with medical insurance. I think they, they are more or less covered. One point I'd just like to make though, uh, off, off topic slightly uh, is uh, the fact that children with a cleft palate cannot breastfeed. Uh, um, and I mentioned that, and it's already been mentioned, that it's, you know, cleft care is a multidisciplinary uh, uh, situation. It's not about the plastic surgeon. There's plastic surgeons, ENTs, orthodontists, dietitians, uh, and speech therapists. And I just want to mention speech therapists for a moment because the speech therapists who deal with clefts are absolutely integral as part of the cleft team. And very early on, even if mothers know the baby uh, that they're about to give birth to has a cleft, particularly of the palate. The plastic surgeon can't really do anything at that point. The most important thing is to feed that baby and to get that baby growing. And they cannot breastfeed because they cannot form a vacuum to suck on the breast. The speech therapist would be called on the day of the birth and explain to the mother how to use expressed breast milk in a specially modified bottle to allow the baby to feed normally. And that's super important because with all the surgery in the world, it's not going to help you for the first three or four months. You need to feed that baby and make sure the baby grows. Um, and the speech therapists are absolutely worth their weight in gold in, 
in getting you know getting the mothers through the first three to four months at least with the feeding and so on. So that's really, really important. All right. It's been an incredibly informative conversation. Let me thank you both for coming on to the show. Dr. Paul Skoll, who is an aesthetic and reconstructive plastic surgeon at the Nate K. Christian Barnard Memorial Hospital, and Dr. Tendo Nechiongolwe, who is also a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Uh, I trust that you found that conversation as informative as 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 I have. Of course, it brings us to the end of our show for today. We'll do it all again tomorrow, uh, Thursday. We're edging towards the end of the week. We will be sharing um, the, the the queries that you've sent through with us uh, with the UIF, and hopefully um, there will be a, a response or an appropriate response um, that you get to some of those issues. It's always a pleasure being in your company. Uh, have a lovely afternoon. Thank you to everybody behind the scenes that has worked to putting the show together, making it uh, a success. We're back with you again tomorrow morning. After this, it's time for the update at noon.